Hello, my friends. My name is Nick. I'm your pastor here at 10 a.m. So good to be here with you today. Obedience. Obedience. Um, I bet you obedience doesn't feature in your top 10 Christian words that you love. Um, those of you who've got kids, have you ever heard your kids say, Mom, I just love obeying you? You know, it's, it's not really something that comes natural to us. Um, we prefer to talk about the love of God, the grace of God, the faithfulness of God, and all those things are beautiful truths that just shine out of Scripture, and yet obedience, obedience, it's something that just runs through every page of the Bible. I think often as Christians, we use our knowledge of the love of God and the grace of God kind of as a shield to hide behind, to be like, well, in the Old Testament, that's where the laws were, but in the New Testament, that's where grace is, yeah? In the Old Testament, that's where obligation was, but in the New Testament, we have freedom. In the Old Testament, people were called to obedience, but in the New Testament, we have Jesus, right? And you know what? I, I think it's, it's fair. Like, it's fair to feel like that because the Old Testament can be really tricky to try and unpack. Um, you know, you, you look at the Old Testament, you go, well, it's telling me I can't eat bacon. I love bacon. Jesus said I can eat bacon, so therefore maybe I don't need to think about the Old Testament much. You, you can eat bacon, by the way. That's fine. Um, but I think we need to do some hard work to see that we're not chucking the Old Testament out. In fact, we're not even removing the law. There's actually something really important for us to learn here. In the New Testament, Jesus has proclaimed the King of glory and of grace. Amen? He's our King of, of glory and holiness and splendor, the one that we obey and he's the one who pours out his grace on us in abundance. Those two things are true. Obedience isn't something that we left in the Old Testament as we come to the New Testament. And grace was there right from day dot in the first pages of the Bible. God is the God of the ages. He is unchanging. And there is something really precious for us to be found, even in these tricky parts of Deuteronomy. So I just got a disclaimer right now. It's going to be a hard word. It's a hard word for us to hear. But it's the Word of God, and it's going to speak to us in power. So I want to make sure you get your Bible open. You're going to be hanging out in Deuteronomy 11. Open your Bibles with me. Um, we're talking about obedience. And the first thing to say um, is that Moses is standing before the people of God, talking to them about obedience. And here's what he says. He says, your obedience is fueled by love and holiness. Your obedience is fueled by love and holiness. Look with me at verse 1. Moses says, love the Lord your God and keep his requirements obedience flows out of love. People that call God their father and love him with their whole hearts, they obey God. You go over to verse 8. He says, observe therefore all the commands that I'm giving you today. And you got to ask, what's the therefore, therefore? You got that one? I use that one youth all the time. They think I'm cool. You guys don't need to. That's fine. Um, you got to ask, what, why is he, what, what are we referring to? Why is he saying obey? What's the, what's the reason that Moses gives Israel to obey? Well, there's two things. Um, if you look from verse 3, he first declares the power of God in loving them in the Exodus. Read with me. The signs he performed and the things he did in the heart of Egypt, both to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to his whole country. What he did to the Egyptian army, to its horses and chariots, how he overwhelmed them with the waters of the Red Sea as they were pursuing you, and how the Lord brought lasting ruin on them. Moses is saying, obey God, because look at what he did for you. You were slaves in a foreign country, worked to the bone, given absolutely nothing. Your sons were murdered before your eyes, and yet God lifted you out of that country. 
He carried you upon his shoulders and he rescued you with his mighty hand. Uh, every time I get to youth or kids' church, we talk about this, this Red Sea moment. You're like, you're serious? There was like a whole army and, and the whole ocean, like just completely like just separated in half. And, and then it crashed and killed all of the soldiers. Man, if I saw that, I would give God everything. That's what I hear regularly. And don't you feel like that sometimes? Like they saw something amazing in their rescue. And Moses is saying, don't forget that. It's fuel for your obedience. Whenever you find it difficult to, to do what God's called you to do, remember what he did for you. He loved you so richly. But then he moves on from the love part and he gets to the holiness part. This is where it gets a little bit confronting. It was verse 5 here, verse 6 actually. It talks about what he did, God did to Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab the Reubenite, when the earth opened its mouth right in the middle of all Israel and swallowed them up with their households. Um, you can go check this out in Numbers 16. Write that down if you want to go check that out after church. But it's a really confronting passage. Um, you've got these two men, their households, their families, who blatantly and openly reject God and disobey the command that's been given to them. And then there's a bit of back and forth between them and Moses, and then Moses and God. And so Moses eventually proclaims to all of Israel, hey, um, move away from their tents, because God's about to do something. And then the very earth beneath them just completely collapses and swallows up these men and their families. If that doesn't confront you that God would do that, it should. Because we're talking about a holy God who can stand no sin. And when people reject and disobey him, there's judgment. And God's saying, Israel... Remember my love, I saved you. But remember who I am. Remember my holiness. Remember the penalty for sin. And let that be fuel for your obedience. Now, for us, we don't need to ever have a fear that God's going to, you know, when we do the wrong thing, swallow the ground up around us. Um, because we have this beautiful name that we live under named Jesus. Um, he he stood in our place and took upon himself all of the penalty of disobedience so we never need to fear the judgment of God like that. Praise the Lord, right? That's terrifying to, to have that as, as a God before you and that, that fear of what our sinfulness might do. But I think Deuteronomy 11 is saying the same thing to you and I, that we need to be obedient to God and the fuel that we need to, to just push forward in obedience is to remember the love of God and to remember the holiness of God. And can I tell you that both those two things get brought together beautifully on the cross of Jesus, when you see Jesus, the Son of God, the infinite one himself, who spoke the world into being, to see him hanging on a cross with blood pouring down his body from his hands and his feet, that is the greatest declaration of love that you will ever see. That's our exodus. At that moment on the cross, Christ cuts the chains off us. He lifts us out of slavery to sin. He conquers our Pharaoh, which we call Satan. And he says, you are now mine. You are my people and I love you. When you look at the cross, that's fuel for your obedience because you see the love of God. But at the same time, you look at the same Jesus on that same cross and you have to see the holiness of God. Because what could ever possibly push the infinite God who spoke the world into being to put himself in a situation like that, the weight of your sin, your disobedience, 
your life lived against God. Let that be fuel for you, that God has gone to so many lengths to cover your sin. It's not, not minimal. It's not light. It's significant. And yes, you are forgiven in Christ, but never forget what it cost him. Because when you can see him hanging on that cross, wearing your shame and guilt, that's when you obey him. Because he's done everything for us. That's the first thing to say. Our obedience is fueled by the love and the holiness of God. The passage continues, and this is where it gets a little bit harder to try and make sense of for you and I. But our obedience is fueled not only by love and holiness, but by blessings and curses. Blessings and curses. Um, As we read through this passage, you see that Moses is saying to Israel, the victory and the promises that you long to receive from God are contingent upon your obedience. It's conditional. Look with me, verse 8. Observe, therefore, all the commands I'm giving you today so that you may have the strength to go in and take over the land. It's your obedience that gives them the strength that means that they're going to be able to take over the land. You go to verse 13. It says, So if you faithfully obey the commands I'm giving you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will send rain on your land in its season. Then I will gather in your grain, new wine and olive oil. Then I will provide grass in your fields. All of the things that they long for in this beautiful land that they're on the edge of comes through their obedience, right? But you continue, and it's not just that their obedience brings blessing, but the the reciprocal is true, that their disobedience brings curses. Look at verse 16. Be careful or you'll be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you. The rest of the passage continues in the same way. Verse 22 onwards, we talk about obedience means victory. And then you get to 26 to the end of the chapter, and we get this, like, just Moses is saying, he's like preaching it to them, right? He says, I put two things before you, blessing and curse. Which one will you choose? Right? That's kind of like the conclusion, the application, the, the, like the driving jab of everything that he's been teaching. You have an opportunity to choose obedience and blessing or disobedience and curses. Now, I don't want to spend too much time talking about that because it's going to come up again and again throughout the rest of Deuteronomy. We're going to have a whole, whole talk really looking at blessings and really looking at curses. But for, for Israel in Deuteronomy, under the law, they needed to be obedient because that's where they experienced blessing. And their disobedience meant the judgment of God. And this is where it gets tricky. We've got to understand how to apply this. Um, I want to argue that God is still the same God who rewards obedience with blessing and punishes disobedience with curse. But we've got to be really careful about what we mean by that because Deuteronomy is not our story in the same way that it was for Israel, right? Um, Because we know that we're imperfect and sinful. We know that we're going to consistently fall short And if this was true for us, we're going to experience curse upon curse upon curse upon curse. This can't be true for us in the way that it was for Israel. Here's how we read it. Um, Israel failed epically. They did. Um, They end up carried off into Assyria in the north. They end up carried off into Babylon, into, into this enormous empire. They're left completely desolate, ruined, and exiled. And they experienced this, this curse like it was real for them. But that's where Jesus steps in and enters into the story of Deuteronomy, yeah? He is the perfect Israelite. In fact, the perfect Israel. 
He's the one who lives this and fulfills this, completely obedient in every moment of his life, experiencing the blessing of God in every way, all the way through to experiencing our disobedience upon himself. When you see Jesus hanging on the cross there, that's the curses of Deuteronomy just being poured out upon him so that you and I don't have to experience that anymore. You don't need to labor under a Deuteronomy. You are completely and utterly forgiven in Christ. Hallelujah. All right? You are completely set free. But God is the same God who still wants to look at you in your obedience and bless you. And who still, as we walk in a different path than the way of Jesus, we're going to see that we experience this sort of curse pattern. Now, I just want to make a quick word about something which we call the prosperity gospel. Do you know what I'm talking about when I say that, the prosperity gospel? Um, this really gets my guts in a knot of anger. Um, this is a, a false proclamation of the Bible that's so common across the world, particularly in impoverished and, and poverty-stricken countries, where this kind of passage is used to say, if you're faithful... God will give you what you want. And if you're unfaithful or you don't have enough faith, that's when you're going to experience curse and things are going to go poorly for you. But that's not the pattern of the Bible. Have you read the book of Job? That guy was a faithful man and everything fell apart for him. We just talked about Jesus is the son of God and they hung him up on a tree. Faithfulness does not automatically equal blessing and disobedience does not equal curse. To say to a family that's just lost a child, hey, maybe it's because you weren't faithful enough. Or to say to someone who doesn't have enough to eat or to provide for their children, hey, maybe it's because you don't believe strongly enough that God will provide for you. That is a false gospel. And we need to just completely eradicate it from our midst. You are not rewarded by being extra faithful. And when you encounter the pain and the trials that come from life, it's not because you are sinful in that moment. You've got to just trust that, that God is bigger than that. It's, it's a promise of the Scriptures that if you believe in Jesus, that you're actually going to face persecution. You're going to face suffering. It's not because you're faithless. It's because God doesn't promise this transactional relationship. When you come to Jesus, you are completely and utterly loved. He does not hold your sin against you. So what do we do with it then? How does it, how does it work? Well, I want to suggest that that God kind of continues this pattern of blessing the obedient, but kind of like flips it a little bit. Um, it's not like the prosperity gospel. We go like, man, I'm, I'm believing in my heart for a Lamborghini, right? And so you go outside, and you're like, oh, <laughs> praise Jesus, there's my Lamborghini. Or you're saying, well, I, I'm praying in my heart that, that this will happen, and if I've got enough faith, it'll happen. That's, that's not what this is saying at all. Jesus, though, does talk about the way that his father is a good father who knows how to give good gifts to his children, yeah? He says, you guys are pretty bad at being fathers, but if your kid came to you and asked for bread, you're not going to give him a stone. Or if he asked for a fish, you're not going to give him a scorpion, right? How much better is the heavenly father that loves you perfectly? He'll give you good gifts. Jesus proclaimed about his whole ministry. I have come, John 10.10, 10, I have come so that they may have life and life to the full. Jesus, as you walk with him in, in the pattern of obedience, wants to bless you. He wants you to have the most fulfilling life. He's just comforting his people at one point. He says, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. God clothes the lilies of the field. He, he looks after the birds of the sky. He says in Matthew 6, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you. That if we're willing to be people who live and obey the kingdom of heaven, 
rather than the kingdom of earth. We're going to have everything that we need. Yeah, no, it's not like a boom, Lamborghini, that's what I want. No, it's God knows what we need most, and he'll make sure we have that. I want to suggest that even more than just your physical needs, God wants to reward your obedience with the richest, most abundant life that you can imagine. The spiritual blessings of Christ are so much better than any earthly or material thing you could ever crave. In 1 Peter 1 verse 8, Peter talks about having this inexpressible and glorious joy, a joy so rich and full that he hasn't got words to talk about it, and he has it in Jesus in the middle of the trials, in the middle of the suffering. In Philippians 4, it talks about praying that God would give you the peace that transcends all understanding, so that even as the whole world is chaotic around you, that your life is falling apart. It makes no sense, but God will give you peace in the middle of that. Do you know what it's like to never have to worry that you're not good enough? Well, Jesus sets you free from any need to prove yourself. He's forgiven you completely and utterly. That is a blessing that will change your life if you can believe it and live in it. God is in the business of rewarding those who are obedient to him. It's not the prosperity gospel. It's not Deuteronomy, but it's the richest and the fullest life. But equally, it goes the other way. When we, when we walk in disobedience... There's a, there's a real emptiness there. There's a real, um, Ecclesiastes calls it a chasing after the wind. You know, just trying to like grasp something worthwhile, but it just always just escapes our grasp. Um, you know, there, there are some really wonderful things in this world, but they're a flash in the pan. You see people chasing after, you know, success and wealth and, and the perfect family and the perfect curated life. Yeah, there's, there are moments that that, that can be good and and joyful, but ultimately, it just kind of falls apart in the end. And it's never quite the satisfying thing that it was meant to be. There's always more to be had. There's always more to be longed for. And I think that's the pattern that God's laid into this world, that when we are walking in a way against the way of Jesus, it actually never satisfies us in the way that we long to. The warning to the Israelites here in Deuteronomy 11, in verse 16, he says, be careful or you'll be enticed to turn away and worship other gods bow down to them. I think that's what we do a lot. We just let the, the words and the ways of the world just entice us away from Jesus, and it's never satisfying. So that's it. Our obedience is fueled by our, um, our blessing and curses that come from, from Christ. Now, I just want to wrap this up for us. I wanna, uh, this is where I think it's going to get a little bit, a bit heavy, because I just want to get to really what the heart of what God is calling us here, yeah? Um, I've got three words for you. And I don't mean three points. Don't freak out. I haven't got another 20 minutes to go. Don't worry. Three words. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. This is the crowning proclamation of the good news, the gospel, the place where we find forgiveness and grace and mercy, that the declaration of that gospel is that Jesus is friend? No. Helper? No. Lord. And you obey your Lord. You don't come to Jesus and hold back and keep part of your life for yourself and live in the way of the world just here. But I'll give you my Sundays, Jesus. You don't get to leave Jesus at church and go out into the rest of your week. Jesus is the Lord of your entire life. Hear me right. Jesus demands our obedience and he deserves it. 
Every little part of who we are is His. You need to know that you are completely and utterly loved. You are cherished. You are forgiven. You are, you are welcomed into the family of God. You are made a son and a daughter. But the key word when you become a Christian is repentance, where you turn away from what you were once living for and you turn towards God and you chase after Him. And I wonder if too often Christians are really happy to go, I believe in Jesus and I'm saved, but there's not that act of turning back to Him and giving Him absolutely everything. We need to return to obedience. We need to not be afraid to say that Jesus demands all of us, every part of our lives. When we give him that obedience, he'll bless us. We'll have the richest life, but he deserves absolutely every part of it. I've got to ask you, is Jesus your Lord? Not just in word, but in truth. Have you given him everything? I mean, we've already covered how we tend to stuff this up, right? We're disobedient at times. We fail. I'm not talking about being perfect. I'm talking about have you just laid your life at the feet of Jesus? Because he demands it for you. He'll give you the whole world, but he demands your whole life. Um, there's a really important verse which is going to come up on the screen. It's from Philippians chapter 2. Um, this is, I think, a really helpful New Testament passage to help us understand what it means to fear God and to understand what it means to obey him as Lord. Let me read it for you. Um, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, notice that language, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That feels like a bit of a paradox, right? Salvation, to be saved by someone else, something you didn't do yourself, something that was given to you by God. It's a gift, it's grace, it's mercy, it's forgiveness, but then fear and trembling? How does that fit together? Well, I don't think this is suggesting that you can lose your salvation or that you, maybe you're not quite good enough for Jesus to save. No, we've covered that. He loves you completely. But there's this real sense that you've got to wrestle. Is Jesus actually my Lord? Because if you haven't given your life to Christ, you aren't saved. It's only the people who have actually put their faith in Christ and given him all of themselves that those are the ones who save. I think that's why there's some fear and trembling, because we're always living with a bit of tension, yeah? When we're not quite doing it the way that we think we should be, where we stuff it up and we sin and we fall. We need to feel a bit uncomfortable in those moments. Am I actually living with Jesus, with everything that I've got? There's the salvation, but there's the fear and the trembling. But notice this last verse, and this is just so comforting. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Can you just notice the tensions that are just sitting here? You need to have this fear and trembling. You need to really wrestle with, am I living for Jesus? But you've also got to have a confidence that God is within you, working in you, changing your heart, transforming you. He's not calling you to be perfect. He's calling you to be obedient. Is Jesus your Lord? Give him absolutely everything. Two quick questions to just kind of map out where your obedience lies. Um, what are you doing right now that is against what God has asked of you? What are you doing right now that is against what God has asked of you? That's that active disobedience, that living in a way that you know is contrary to the way of God. If you've got something that comes to mind, it's time to lay that at the feet of Jesus. The second thing is that the flip side, what are you not doing right now that God has asked of you? What is, what is the good way of Jesus that God has called you to live that you're not living right now? Whether out of disobedience or just wandering, I don't know. 
What is God calling you to be and do and live for him as you follow Jesus with your whole life? I mean, we've covered a lot of ground today, yeah? We've talked about the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Deuteronomic Covenant, prosperity gospel, obedience, fear, love, trembling, but it's three words. Jesus is Lord. Will you give him everything? Let me pray. Father God, we just want to thank you that we never have to have a fear that we need to be perfect um, or a fear that we're enough because you look upon us while we're enemies, while we're sinners, and you love us with an unwavering love. Thank you, Jesus, for your mercy and your grace. But you call us to obedience, Lord. And so we just pray that you might search our hearts right now, that by your Spirit you might convict us of those places where we need to submit to you, we need to give ourselves over to you. Um, And Lord, would you, by the power of your Spirit, help us do something with that, not to try and just be better, to do more, but to just submit more of ourselves to you at the foot of the cross, knowing that you are enough You are everything that we need. Your mercy will carry us even in our disobedience. So, Lord, please help us to be more obedient to you, our Lord. Amen.